in every victory Jesus is better make my heart make my heart believe Declaring Jesus is better, make my heart believe. And your song eternal, Jesus is better, make my heart believe. Glory, glory, we have no but Jesus, Lord of ask you to take your Bible this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 27, Matthew chapter 27. If you don't have a Bible, take some time right now to go and go and find it and, or uh, look it up on your phone or wherever, but Matthew chapter 27, and I'll begin reading at verse 57, and we'll go down on into chapter 28 and verse 15, Matthew chapter 27. Beginning with verse 57. And we'll stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Those of us that are here this morning or you at home can do so as well because this is the Word of God and it's holy. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he wrote a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Verse 62. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, After three days I will arise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Chapter 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Verse 5. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Let's pray together again. Father, thank you, God, that we could worship together. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us in Jesus, your Son. Thank you, Father, for the church, your church, your people. I think of the words of the song we just sang. Our souls declaring Jesus is better. Our song eternal, Jesus is better. So though we can't gather together now and hear one another's voices declaring these truths, we know that one day we will. Whether that be in our church buildings or whether that be in the new heavens and new earth. Our song will be eternal, declaring that Jesus is better, better than anything in this world. So God, we ask now that your, heart, you would, your spirit would affect our hearts and help us to know this, not just in our heads, but really in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. It goes without saying many in our world are walking right now through the valley of the shadow of death, some literally, some because of the coronavirus and some because of other reasons. In fact, this morning as I speak to you, and the reality is, is that we are all walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And we know that whether it be the coronavirus or cancer, or car wreck, or whatever it might be. Unless we're a believer in the Lord Jesus comes first, that death is looming, and that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We try to soften that reality by entertainment, and by staying busy, and by thinking about things coming in the future that we look forward to. 
But the reality is, and we're faced with it in our world right now as much as any other time in our lifetimes, that we all are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But hear the hope of a Psalm, chapter 23, verse 4. Familiar Psalm, maybe the most familiar Psalm in Scripture, maybe the most familiar passage in Scripture to a lot of people. Psalm, chapter 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But that's not so for many people. For many cannot join with the psalmist David or join with believers and say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even many professing believers find themselves a lot of times thinking to themselves, I have no, really no reason to be afraid. That's why we meet on Sundays. That's why we want to meet on Sundays together to remind ourselves of that. Because we wax and wane between fear and joy. And the expression of hopelessness and despair and anxiety and fear takes a lot of forms. Nobody likes me. Everybody think, hates me. I think I'll go eat worms. We said that growing up. Or my favorite show, Hee Haw, growing up. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. And I mentioned the anti-psalm by David Pallinson, a Christian writer helping us to understand how many people experience hopelessness and despair. The anti-psalm that David Pallinson writes says this, I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths. Still, I insist. I want to do what I want, when I want, and how I want. But life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and final loss. Do you fear the big hurt and final loss sometimes? When's it coming? Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me, except me. And I'm so much all about me. Sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever, homeless, free-falling into void? 
The philosopher said, hell is other people. I have to add, hell is also myself. It's a living death, and then I die. That's where a lot of people are at. In fact, that's where most people are at this morning. Again, trying to soften the thought about it, trying to soften that despair and that depression and that anxiety and fear, but never quite getting away from it. That's why many find themselves addicted to drugs and alcohol or other things. The big question this, that we're going to look at this morning in this passage of Scripture about the resurrection of Christ is that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can have joy. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, how is it that we can have joy? Let's think about the crucifixion for a moment. You think about Jesus' lifeless body hanging on the tree. You see the soldiers taking down his body. You see Joseph of Arimathea, his secret disciple, wrapping Jesus' body and placing it in the tomb. And the stone is rolled at the entrance. The seal of the Roman Empire is sealed over the tomb. The soldiers are standing guard over the dead body of Jesus. But death cannot keep its prey. He tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. The sealed stone covered the entrance and the men were sent to guard it to keep folks from going in. But they couldn't keep Jesus from coming out. Amen? The shadow of death was looming over the followers of Jesus in this passage of Scripture. You think about what things were like on Good Friday and then on Saturday for the disciples and even early Sunday morning. The shadow of death was looming over the followers of Jesus. There's fear all around. The men are hiding in a locked room, according to John chapter 20, verse 29. The women are walking, if we look in chapter 28, they're walking to the tomb that's guarded. You see the women carrying their spices there in verse 1 of chapter 28. Here they come. And there's no Facebook watch party. No Facebook Live watch party going on. Hey, Jesus said he's going to rise three days later. Hey, let's watch it. Let's be ready for it. No, what's it say in verse 1 of chapter 28? Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. They weren't going to see Jesus alive. The disciples were in the locked room. The women were coming to anoint a dead body. The men are hiding for fear of the Jews. The women are shaken emotionally. If you look in chapter 28, verse 1 and 2, they're shaken emotionally by the death of Jesus, but they're also shaken physically because of an earthquake that's just taken place. And now they're shaken in fear at the sight of an angel sitting on the stone that's been rolled away from the tomb and the sight of the soldiers laying flat on the ground looking like they're dead, petrified in fear of what has just taken place. And then these words, if you look at your Bible in verse 5 of chapter 28, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. In other words, the angel was saying to the women, do not be overcome with fear. 
and be paralyzed like these soldiers are, these pagan soldiers lying upon the ground. Again, the big question this morning that we're looking at is this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, how can I not be afraid? How can I have joy? Two, two ways, two reasons I want to share with you from these verses. Number one, amid the shadow of death, you do not have to be overcome with fear for Jesus was crucified and has risen. Both those statements at the end are important. For Jesus was crucified and has risen. Now, I want you to notice I didn't just stop way midway through that summary statement I just made and said, you don't have to be overcome with fear. I wanted to be more concise in my sermon outline this morning. You don't have to be overcome with fear. But instead, I'm going to be wordy because I'm a Baptist preacher. Amid the shadow of death... You don't have to be overcome with fear for Jesus was crucified and is risen. The reason I just can't make myself be concise and stop midway in that sentence, you don't have to be overcome with fear, is because anybody can say that. Your therapist can say that. Your therapist can say you don't have to be overcome with fear. Or your daddy or a well-meaning friend or the motivational speaker might tell you that and follow it up with some practical things like get plenty of sleep. You don't have to be overcome with fear. Get plenty of sleep and rest and take deep breaths and practice meditation and do yoga. Think happy thoughts or a thousand other temporary things that might help the mind but in the end will destroy the soul. So amid the shadow of death... You do not have to be overcome with fear for, and that's the word, you see it? For, you see it a couple of times here in this passage of Scripture, verse 6, the middle of it, he is not here. For, he is risen. For, that's a good word. For, for, he has risen. He was crucified and he is risen. For, it says in verse 5, Look at your Bible in verse 5. Do not be afraid, for I know Jesus. You seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For, verse 6, for he is risen as he said. There's three observations that God emphasizes at the end of Matthew chapter 27 that I want you to go back and look at with me quickly that aids in alleviating the potential paralyzing fear of the women that were coming to the tomb and ours as well. Three observations I want us to see at the end of chapter 7, beginning with verse 57. So this is chapter 27, verse 57. And one of those observations is this. Jesus died and was buried, and there were witnesses to prove it. So we, we read chapter 27, hearing the word of God. God's not wasting words here. In chapter 27, verse 57, God the Holy Spirit has inspired these words to be written through the hand and, and the words of Matthew to, to show us something here. So in verse 57, when he says, when it's evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea, and he's talking about how Jesus was, was his body was taken down. I want you to notice how many times the, the emphasis is laid upon the fact that Jesus really had died, that he was dead. Five times there's a reference either to the body of Jesus or an implication is a reference to the body of Jesus. Notice it, it says it here. Verse 58, he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it. 
It was the body of Jesus. You see that? Then look at verse 60, and laid it. Or excuse me, look at verse 59, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it, wrapped it, the body, in a clean linen shroud and laid it in the body. Over and over, he's referencing the body of Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants us to know Jesus really did die on the cross. And then it emphasizes seven times in these verses beginning here and even into chapter 28, seven times it references the tomb. Dead people are placed in tombs. And he rode a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Verse 61, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Verse 64, therefore order the tomb to be made secure. Verse 66, so they went and made the tomb secure. Chapter 28, verse, at the end of verse 1, Mary went to see the tomb. In verse 8 of chapter 28, so they departed quickly from the tomb. You see the emphasis here? Jesus really did die. Jesus died and was buried, but there were witnesses to it. Joseph of Arimathea. And then in verse 61 of chapter 27, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Jesus died and was buried, and there were witnesses of this. Even the soldiers witnessed it, as we read in the Gospels, that he really had died upon the cross. And now, the women... Do not have to be afraid because if you look at your Bible in chapter 28, verse 6, what's the angel say as they come to the, as they come to the tomb? He is not here, for he is risen. Look at verse 5. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Again, the emphasis here that Jesus really was crucified. He really did die. He really was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. He's not crucified anymore. There's a second observation in chapter 27, the end of it. Jesus spoke about rising again, and there were many who remembered it. So if you look and you think about, here come the Pharisees, and here come the religious leaders, and they're approaching the Roman governor, Pilate. Can you see the perturbed look on Pilate's face? Oh, no, not them again. What do they want now? You all were worried about him when he's alive, and now you're worried about him when he's dead. Can't you, you just can't get enough, can you? What do you want? And so they come up to him, and they begin to talk about how Jesus had said. You see, the enemies of Jesus were aware that Jesus had said on the third day he would rise again. You look in verse 63 of chapter 27. And, sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. And the disciples themselves were aware of it as well, that Jesus had said after three days he would rise again. Look at verse 64. Look at their concern. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and try to fabricate a story that for some, somehow Jesus had actually risen from the grave and he, they go and tell everybody that. The emphasis again here is that Jesus had said he would rise again in three days. They were, it was remembered by his enemies, and it was remembered by his disciples. In fact, the disciples were told several times by Jesus himself, 
Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 being an example. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And now the women are coming to the tomb. And the angel says to them, I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. And he really was crucified. He really was dead. But he, is, he says he's been risen from the grave. And now the angel says to them, he is not here. For he has risen. And look at what it says at the end of that verse. He is not here for he is, or excuse me, in the middle of verse 6. He is not here for he has risen as he said. He has done exactly what he has said. And the third observation is Jesus' tomb was made secure by men sent to guard it. So at the end of chapter 27, we see Pilate says, okay, you can have some soldiers. Go make it as secure. You see that? Middle of verse 65, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. You see over and over the emphasis here, the tomb is being made secure. A guard is being set. Jesus said he was going to rise again three days. He was dead. It all sets up the miraculous nature of the resurrection. He really was dead. He told them he was going to rise again three days later. And they're worried about the disciples who remembered that coming and stealing the body. So they set a guard and seal the stone, and they still can't keep it from happening. And so the angel says to them in chapter 28, verse 6, come see the place where he lay. They can have great joy. Their fear can be alleviated because the angel says, come see the place where he lay, where he was lying. He's not there anymore. So these observations just very quickly point us to two very important things. Jesus must die on the cross. I heard from a a friend of mine, a Muslim friend of mine in Bosnia this morning. Now get it, he's, he's a dedicated Muslim that I've talked to, met last summer, I believe it was, in Sarajevo. And he sends me a message this morning that says, Happy Easter! <laughs> I'm a dedicated Muslim man. Happy Easter! Oh, thanks! Happy Easter to you! But, but he don't get it! For the Muslim, Jesus was a great prophet. And Allah could not bear that his great prophet would actually die on a cross. So Allah somehow rescued Jesus from the cross. It was either someone else who died or it appeared that he died, but he didn't really die. And Jesus was miraculously, miraculously taken to paradise before he actually died. And then there's a swoon theory as well. But here in the Word of God, here in the Bible, what is emphasized is that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He really did die. And over and over in chapter 27, they see his body. They're wrapping his body. They're placing it in a tomb. He really did die. And the fact of the matter is, in this observation that we must get, is Jesus must die. He must not be rescued. He must not be delivered. There must not be a substitute for Jesus. He must be our substitute. He must die so that we might live. And we read in Revelation chapter 5, they see the lamb as if slain. 
And they sang a new song in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain. Were slain. He, he really did die. He really was crucified, and he's worthy. And by your blood, this is why, and by your blood, because you were slain, you've ransomed people for God. You've ransomed people for God who are now proclaiming Jesus is better for all eternity. And Jesus must die for that to happen. And Jesus must rise again bodily from the tomb on the third day is what we gain from those observations. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So amid the shadow of death, as I said in point number one, you don't have to be overcome with fear. For Jesus was crucified for your sins and he was risen again, proving that the payment for your sins was accepted by the Father. It's finished. There's nothing else to be offered, nothing to be added to that. What he did is sufficient. Amid the shadow of death, you do not have to be overcome with fear for Jesus was crucified and is risen again. Now, number two, the second reason that we don't have to be afraid, but we can actually have joy amidst the valley of the shadow of death, however that might be taking place or manifest itself in your life right now. Number two, amid the shadow of death, you can have great joy as you go and tell others that Jesus is alive. Isn't that what we see taking place here in chapter 28 after the angel appears and tells the women what's, what's happening, that Jesus is risen? Three times the word tell, T-E-L-L, three times the word tell is used in these verses, verses 7 through 9. If you recall, lowly shepherds were the first ones to tell of Jesus' birth, right? Lowly shepherds, the ostracized of society and isn't it interesting that Matthew, if he was trying to fabricate the story, he would not have included women as the first to be the witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. They were, women were not considered reliable witnesses in that culture in that day. But he chose to tell it because he's telling the truth. This is what actually happened. And so the women are told three different times to tell. Look at verse 7, then go quickly and tell his disciples. Those guys, those men that are hiding out, go tell them, women. Verse 8, so they departed quickly from the tomb and with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Now they have great joy. And along the way they meet Jesus. And they followed his feet and worshiped him. And for the third time, we read about them going and telling, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. Tell, tell, tell. And so they have went off in great joy now. They've been told not to be afraid, but have great joy and go and tell. And so the second reason and way in which we can be in the valley of the shadow of death, however it's manifesting itself in our lives right now, is we can have great joy as you go and tell others that Jesus is alive. Rather than be overcome with the fear of judgment, but have the fear of amazement with the joy of the good news that Jesus is alive. So let me ask you a question. Are you an anxious person? Are you an anxious person? You know how to be kept from over, being overcome by your fears and have great joy that leads you to focus on extending the kingdom of God? These women go and tell Jesus, go and tell others about Jesus because they believe 
And I want to tell you something this morning. You listen. The only way that you can have what we're talking about this morning, the only way that you can not be overcome with fear, and the only way that you can have great joy, these women went and told others about that Jesus was alive. They went and told people that Jesus was alive, and they had great joy because they actually believed it. The only way you can have great joy is if you believe these things are true. Not just in your head, but in your heart. You must be a believer in Jesus Christ. There's no other way. You have to know what these women knew. You have to meet the Jesus these women met and worshipped in verse 9 and have him meet you. We think about Paul's testimony in Scripture who was hauling Christians off to be persecuted. And Paul saw the light. He saw the risen Christ and it changed his life. I was watching my cousin in Tennessee preach this morning on Facebook. I was tapping to run across it. Robert Frills. He and I grew up and did a lot of stuff together. And in his younger days, like most of us, sowed his wild oats. And God got a hold of him one day and saved him when he was really young and probably his early 20s, I think it was, and started preaching. There's a little old one-room church house back home. Still had an outhouse that was closed called Potter's Chapel. And God got a hold of my cousin's heart because, no, there wasn't no church around there open no more. And he went and asked if he could get permission to preach in that church. And he opened it up. And so many people started coming, they had to build another church down the road. Now he's a pastor in another church now and is preaching this morning. His boy's helping him sing because God changed his life. The light of the glory of God was, had shone in his heart. And he's done that in many of your hearts. And he alleviates the fear that we have. We might still be anxious, but we have a joy that sustains us in the middle of all of it. Just like a blind man, I wandered along. Hank Williams is known for singing that song. I don't know what he saw, but I don't, I don't really know if he saw Jesus or not. But You see, a lot of people can t say the right words and say the right things and sing the right things and not know nothing about Jesus in their heart. Just like a blind man, I wandered along. Worries and fears I claimed for my own. Then like a blind man that God gave back his sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more in darkness, no more in night. Now I'm so happy. No sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. And the believers who I'm talking to this morning, what we need to do is cultivate and seek that on a daily basis. Seek Jesus on a daily basis. Don't waste your quarantine. Keep seeking Jesus daily in personal worship and family worship, and physically when we're able to meet again together with your church family. Don't get in the habit of staying at home listening to the, or watching the services. This is not what God intends. You can't be edified the way God would want you to, and others can't be edified by you the way God wants you to. So we meet together to worship. There's two tellings in this passage of Scripture that's emphasized. There's the tellings that the women are to make, they're supposed to go tell the disciples that Jesus is alive, right? To meet him in Galilee. But if you look in verse 11 through 15 of chapter 28, the guards, remember, laying paralyzed on the ground, they go back and report to the chief priest all that had taken place. And the chief priest 
Well, let's just keep this quiet, boys. Notice what they're supposed to tell in verse 13. Look at your Bible in verse 13. And they said, tell people. Now, you go tell people. You have a story to tell. You tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If anybody, governor's going to give you a problem, don't worry. You take this money and we'll deal with the governor and it'll be all right. And that story is circulated to the day of Matthew. And even today, there's all kinds of stories people believe. All kinds of things being told about Jesus. New specials on TV every time, every, all, every time this time of year. There'll be some liberal news channel or special about the resurrection of Jesus and how that actually didn't happen or that Jesus lived later on and actually didn't die and end up getting married later on. Heard that story before. There's all these tellings out there. And there's this one, this story, this telling that the soldiers were supposed to go and propagate. So this story is circulated widely in Jerusalem, one that many would rather believe today. Something Jesus is not really the Son of God. He really didn't rise again. People would rather believe that there's nothing to this Jesus. I met a man like that this week. He was delivering something to our church. He was keeping his social distance, and I, and I, he said something about why he was delayed and so forth, apologizing for it. And then he said uh, about his particular situation, he said, uh, his name was Aaron. He said, oh, well, things, worse things could happen. Worse things could happen, he said. Well, I started to walk off. I thought, man, I've got an opportunity right here to tell him something else. And I remember Miss Diane's words from the food pantry down. I just talked to her earlier about somebody she had talked to that she was delivering food to and how she said she was trying to talk to somebody earlier about Jesus and she remembered what the pastor had said that that's not enough, you need to say more. And that pastor that had said that was me. Her words were, I remember if the pastor were here, you would, he would say, you need to say more than that. And then I remembered a post that Nick Foster had posted earlier in the week and just flashed through my mind. It was a quote from someone else, and it said this, if you're going to preach a biblical definition of mercy, then you must at some point point to the wrath of God. So as I turned to walk away and walk back into the church, both those things just kind of just quickly flashed into my mind. Diana and Nick just really flashed into my mind really quick. So I turned around and I said to him, you know, there really are things worse that could happen to you. And he stopped and he said, huh? <laughs> I said, there really are things worse that could happen. And so I talked and I shared about judgment to come that we're under the wrath of God. And if we're not right with Jesus Christ through faith alone in Him, that's the worst thing that could happen is to die in our sins. Well, he listened to me and he began to explain, you know, he said, I've heard a lot of things. See, he'd heard a lot of stories himself. He'd heard that telling before, what the women were supposed to go tell, that Jesus is alive. 
But he also heard what the soldiers were supposed to go and tell. And other stories have been told about Jesus. He said, I've, got, I've heard all these things. And I just, basically he was saying, I just can't believe. Because I've heard, I heard, hear what you're saying. I appreciate it. But I hear all this too. So he's stuck in the middle. And then he thanked me. And before I could do anything about it, he walked off the truck and he broke the six-foot barrier. And he's sweating because he's putting boxes on the truck and he comes up and he shakes my hand. <laughs> so I walk into the church and afterwards and clean my hands really good. I did not touch my face. But I did pray for him later that he would not stay in that place of indifference. And neither can you. You can't. He's either your Lord and you're his child or you're his enemy, a child of wrath. So how about you? What telling, what story, what story you listening to, what story about Jesus do you believe? How's that working for you? What story are you listening to and how's that working for you? Now listen, the message and plea this morning is not give Jesus a try and see if that works for you. That's not it. See if that works for your fears about the collapsing economy. See if Jesus works for your fear of whether or not you will keep your job. That's not the message. See if Jesus will work uh, for your fear of getting your stimulus check on time or the fear of your marriage going to stay together or the fear of your family member getting the coronavirus. No, that's not the message. No, the plea this morning is to repent and trust in Jesus Christ. You're a sinner. You need to believe in Jesus, your worst problem is that you've sinned against God, you're under the wrath of God. Repent and believe in Christ amid the shadow of death that this world is and can only be for you. This world is and can only be for you death. Don't look for satisfaction in it. You will not find it. The reason that is is because there's something more fearful and certain to happen than any of those fears I just mentioned it's judgment to come. But brother, if you're not a brother, listen, there's joy to be gained. Not just in the future heaven, but a joy that can sustain you right now amid the fears you have. He can change you if you'll trust in him. It's an old song I like that talks about the power of a conversion I'll share with you. I remember the night at the end of my rope in a hotel in Nashville searching for hope. In my hand was a Bible I'd read as a child. On the table was a bottle that was driving me wild. Well, I poured the whiskey into the glass. I prayed it would help me forget about the past. Well, then I read of how Jesus died on that tree. I poured out the whiskey, got down on my knees. That night old Jack Daniels met John 3.16. God's word broke a hold that had got hold of me. 
I traded Tennessee whiskey for Calvary's tree. That night old Jack Daniels met John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. A lot of you memorize that, but you don't know nothing about it. The message is not just to believe the story. The message is not just to believe the promise of John 3.16. The devil believes John 3.16. The devil believes that Jesus rose again, but the devil wants to do his own thing, and that's what's true of all mankind. I fear that's true of some of you who are listening this morning or watching this service. You actually might like the story of Jesus, but you don't like the implications of what it means to really follow Jesus. To have the joy that sustains you in life and death is to repent and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Quit playing religion. Because a lot of folks, really, they want heaven. But right now, you really just want to do your own thing. Psalm 23, verse 4, I'll end with this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David, King David wrote that in the Old Testament before Jesus came along, right? King David, before Christ came and died, before he rose again, King David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. How much more can we say that? How much more can followers of Jesus Knowing that Christ has died for our sins, he's rose again. He's fulfilled the new covenant. How much more can we say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. In fact, you are in me by the presence of the Holy Spirit. I had some morning this morning trying to set up a YouTube video for uh, the sunrise service and then I went, just don't go into all that. And then I went to McDonald's and got me a sausage McMuffin. I said, man, I'm going to get a sausage McMuffin and make myself feel better and a Diet Coke. And I went down the river and I thought, I'm going down there and I'm going to feel better. I'm going to eat this sausage McMuffin. I'm going to spend time with the Lord. It's all going to be good. And I went down there and set my sausage biscuit on the side there and pulled up and put the brake on and stopped in the parking lot there at the river. And my sausage and biscuit went right in the floor. <laughs> it ain't funny, Nick. My, oh, my, model morning. It pales in comparison to some mornings that some of y'all have sometimes and some mornings I have sometimes and maybe the morning you're having right now. But we have to remember that morning. The morning that Jesus rose again because that sustains us in all these other mornings, good ones and bad ones. And not only do we remember that morning, we remember some morning, some morning, we're going to step off on that beautiful shore and we're going to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there'll be no trace of fear and no trace of sadness, but all joy to the glory of Jesus. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word and thank you for these, this great hope and promise that we have in Christ. I pray that you would draw the, the lost to yourself, that they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. That you would encourage the Christians that are listening this morning as well to remind themselves of your truth and to take time to be holy, to take time to seek you in, in prayer and in your word.
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father, words can't express our wonder at the empty tomb. God, what it tells us about you and your power and that you're a promise keeper, but also what it means for us, that all of us who trust in your sacrifice and profess you as Lord will also be resurrected one day just like Jesus. So that even today we can confidently say that death is swallowed up in victory. And so God... Help us remember that, that if, God, you're for us, then what can man do to us? God, give us confidence this week forward. Um, and, God, we just ask once again that you protect those um, who are on the front lines, healthcare workers and those at grocery stores and gas stations, those who 
are on the front lines of, of battling this virus and, and, and serving us during this time, that you would protect them. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.